the Legal Toolkit with Jared Correa. With guest Sean Buck, a round of Idaho, Utah, and then I'll be slapping the shit out of Jared. Topical? Maybe. But I'm sure as hell not passing up the chance. But first, your host, Jared Correa. Como estas, bitches? It's the Legal Toolkit Podcast. And yes, it's still called the Legal Toolkit Podcast, even though I've never even used a dogleg reamer. I'm your host, Jared Korea. You're stuck with me because Chris Rock was not able to. Oh, wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software, Inc. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools so law firms can build documents faster and more accurately. You can find out more about Gideon at gideonlegal.com. Now, before we get to our interview today with Sean Buck, CEO of the Newsletter Pro about, uh, well, you probably guessed we're going to talk about newsletters, I want to talk to you about a crazy movie I bet you've never seen and the superstar musician who wrote the soundtrack. Harold and Maude is just a batshit crazy movie. My father-in-law is a great guy, but he likes really, really weird movies like Never Cry Wolf and this movie from Finland about an evil Santa Claus and his evil elf army, just to give you a sense of what we're dealing with here. So I knew when he asked me if I'd ever seen Harold and Maude that it was going to be a rare treat indeed, because he's never like... Have you ever seen this quirky independent film called Titanic? He did not disappoint. Harold and Maude came out in 1971, and here's the plot. Harold is 19, and he's obsessed with death. He stages elaborate fake suicides and attends funerals all the time for people he doesn't know. Oh, he also drives a hearse. I guess that part was kind of predictable. At one of these funerals, he meets Maude. She's 79 old lady, but she's kind of a freak too. As it turns out, she attends the funerals of strangers also. So these two crazy kids meet at some rando's funeral and fall in love. Yes. Yes, I said it. They fall in love. Yes, there is a 60-year age difference. Harold's mom is livid, of course. Maude's friends and family, I guess, are all dead, so they don't care. And Harold, as it turns out, wants to marry Maude. All right, now, here's where we're getting into the spoiler alerts. Although I feel a little weird initiating a spoiler alert for a 50-year-old movie, if you haven't seen this yet and you want to, just fast forward about 30 seconds. It turns out that Maude has a sad backstory, including having been a Holocaust survivor. And sadder still, she's planning on committing suicide, real suicide, when she turns 80. She and Harold spend their last night together, but Harold never gets to marry Maude as she makes good on her threat and overdoses on sleeping pills. Harold is devastated, drives his car off a cliff, only he's not in it. It's another staged suicide, and as the movie ends, he walks off singing a song. Notably, a Cat Stevens song written specifically for the movie. Now, this is a weird-ass movie, for sure. But Harold and Maude is actually really great. The plot device is super clever. They've got the whole coming-of-age story thing working. There's a twist ending. 
and it's become a cult classic. A lot of people love this movie. But what's also interesting about the movie is the soundtrack to the movie. So the actor who plays Harold is named Bud Court, and he was in a couple of Robert Altman movies before he was cast in Harold and Maude, but this was really like the role he was known for. But originally, Elton John was set to star in the movie and do the music. He ultimately decided against taking the role. He was not super into movies at the time. And then he decided not to do the soundtrack either. So he suggested Cat Stevens as his replacement. Now, Cat Stevens, I'll be talking more about him later in an upcoming Perfect Albums monologue. He was down for the project because he really loved the book that the movie was based on. And he wrote two non-album tracks for the film, Don't Be Shy. And if you want to sing out, sing out. The latter song is the movie's theme song, basically. And that's the song that Harold sings at the end. But what's crazy is that Harold and Maude never officially released the soundtrack. That was because Cass Stevens wouldn't let the producers do it. So in addition to the two non-album tracks that Stevens composed for the film, the rest of the movie was chock full of Cass Stevens songs. But the rest of them were previously released. T for the Tillerman and Mona Bone Jackin. So really, Cass Stevens was at the height of his power and his popularity at this time. This time being 1970 and 1971. And so he didn't want to release a collection of songs from multiple albums because he didn't want it to seem like he was putting out a greatest hits, which is usually a sure sign that an artist is decreasing in popularity. Now, this is totally crazy because I don't think this ever happens today. But Harold and Maude, a movie that is now housed in the National Film Registry, was released without a soundtrack, even though the music was written by fucking Cat Stevens. That's just whack. So I do have some good news. The soundtrack just came out last month. That's right, 50 years after the movie was released. Last month, that full Harold and Maude soundtrack became available. It's got all the Cat Stevens songs, the album tracks, the two non-album tracks. It's got some of the classical music that was used in the film, it's got some movie dialogue. This is a proper soundtrack, an immersive experience. So now you've got your weekend entertainment covered. And if you can't get enough Cass Stevens movie soundtrack coverage, because who couldn't, honestly, But I Might Die Tonight, one of his best songs, was also featured in another movie, the film The Deep End, which starred Paul McCartney's ex-girlfriend, Jane Asher. That is a jarringly different version of an already great song, and if you can locate it online, which you can, you should give it a listen. And now I think maybe we've gone off the deep end. Now, before we get to our conversation about newsletters with Sean Buck, the newsletter pro, let's see what Joshua Lennon has to deliver in this week's edition of the Clio Legal Trends Report. Here's a fact about law firms with growing revenue. They're 46% more likely to use client intake and client relationship management or CRM solutions. I'm Joshua Lennon, lawyer in residence at Clio, and this is just one finding from our recent Legal Trends Report. Client intake and CRM tools keep track of potential clients and help you make a great first impression. For instance, online forms can help you easily collect basic information related to a client's matter rather than fielding calls and taking notes on a piece of paper. For more information on what law firms with growing revenue are doing differently than the rest, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com forward slash trends. 
That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O dot com forward slash trends. So let's dive into those finger stakes. It's time to interview our guest. My guest today is Sean Buck. He's the CEO of Newsletter Pro. Sean, welcome to the show. Jared, thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. So you, you're in a good mood. You just came back from vacation. Happy about yes. that. I've tried to get you onto the show for like a couple of years, I feel like. I just want to say that your company has tremendous swag. Like, I don't say that about Thanks. everybody, but like, <laughs> I got a newsletter pro water bottle, super durable, legit. Yeah. And then I noticed the other day, my kid was wearing one of your t-shirts to bed. <laughs> high quality shirt, high quality. Yeah. Hey man, so, we, we, we're all in. We, you know, do it right or don't do it right. I'm super impressed. Let's talk about newsletters. Let's do so it. like, why newsletters? Because like the trend is e-newsletters, everything's digital, right? Like, why did you decide to do this in the first place? And then like continue to lean into it when everybody's talking about like electronic tools. Yeah, yeah. I think that the the reason that I decided was exactly that, right? So like everybody is going one direction. You know, at the time when I started the company in 2011, it was one of these things, all my friends were starting like, web development companies or, or yeah. whatnot. But when I saw everybody doing the same thing, I'm like, man, do I want to go into that red bloody ocean over there in a sense? Or do I want to go over here to this blue ocean that I know works and I've had a lot of success with personally in my other businesses. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go over here to this blue ocean. And then it worked so well. You know, we grew so fast over the years that it was, it, you know, obviously it seemed to have traction. We got great response from from the customers and so yeah. we just kept developing and pushing right you know and now we do digital as well uh it's just not oh you know, sure we didn't start there right you know no so i like that whole notion of like reduced competition makes a lot of sense but it's really hard to sell out and do that because i mean it's easy to be like hey i got an ai solution just like everybody else mm -hmm. but going in another direction is kind of wild so like it sounds like you had success doing it pretty much from the jump, but like, did you have to convince yourself that this was the way to go and that you were foregoing these other business models that other people were looking at? Did you have to convince your family to do that? Like, how did that process come about? Because it's hard to commit to a niche, especially it when it's one that's in the opposite direction of a trend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it is hard. You know, at the time, it really was just based off the idea that I had used it in a previous company to great success. Like we really, our referrals uh, were on point. Uh, you know, we had customers that were staying for a long time. We got them to spend more. Like we were, we were hitting, you know, all the, mm. all the right buttons. Right. And so, you know, it wasn't hard to convince the family at the time and stuff and, and get them going in the direction with me, but it was, you know, it was a little bit challenging to find the right message and, and the right market. And, you know, cause what we found is that it, it really excels in some niches, right? Some niches, it just really, it, it can do great things for our clients, right? And then we found yeah. some niches that it doesn't work as well in, right? But yeah, no, it was, it was, it was pretty easy because we had, we had such quick success that when I was looking at the numbers, 
because originally we started with like three different products, four different products. But mm-hmm. when I was looking at the numbers, I was like, wow, it's been like 18 months and no one has canceled the newsletter product. And all we've had is rave <laughs> reviews. And look at these other three products, man. We've got like, you know, clients last a year or, you know, they last 20 months or something, right? So yeah, yeah it, was, it became pretty easy and pretty apparent pretty quickly. So you will have heard that there's been a global pandemic recently. That's been I heard about it. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. And like... Everybody was like stuck in their houses. Nobody was seeing each other. Do you feel like there's going to be a resurgence in things like this, like personal, tangible items, events that like are people going to go back to that and say like, okay, now that we're over this whole thing, let's start doing more, more or less traditional marketing that affects people in a different way than just getting another email or being on another Zoom call. Yeah. So as we become more isolated, right? So more work from home, then we tend to want to have some of that extra, you know, connection, right? And yeah. so but ultimately what I think it really comes down to like the the I think the reason we ended up being successful where you know so many companies that that mimicked us uh failed. Uh, n- a number of them like literally gave me their customers as they closed. So, yeah, um, yeah. you know, a lot of them failed. And um, I think where we ended up being successful is in the content. And that's where, that's mm-hmm. where ultimately our future will lie because, you know, content is the way the world's going, but it's good quality, personalized content, right? That is what people want. You know, they, they, as we become more isolated, we're going to want to learn more about other people. I mean, if you look at Facebook, right, it's just us, seeing what our neighbors are doing basically mm-hmm. right you know yeah. all over the world and and so it's it's the same thing it's just this this podcast is just another way of doing content and you know we've become really good at taking someone else's voice and then ghostwriting that article sound like them and then of course using that you know in their newsletter use it in their blog posts or whatever it happens to be so so it mm. didn't start out that way but it's where we've kind of morphed into this content and you are seeing a resurgence in analog throughout everything even if you look at music you know go in and uh and you can go buy the latest uh you know album on you can go literally an album for a record yeah. player like i mean yeah. so what's old is new again and, and everything goes in these cycles right so dude i've got an eight track in the office i'm sitting in right now for see real. do you um, really <laughs> oh yeah yeah absolutely that's not that's a lie. crazy that's crazy so what's interesting is we had a conversation about this last episode we had a ghostwriter come in content creation person talk about this how do you find that like your clients are in terms of preference there do people want to write their own stuff? Do they say, hey, handle everything for me? And then you just do the formatting, the production. Like, what's that look like for you, generally speaking? For us, it is it is always where, almost always, I should say, you know, uh, there's always those one or two exceptions. But it's pretty much always where we call, interview the client, usually 10 or 15 minute interview. Um, sometimes they have content already for us. Sometimes we have, if they don't, we have questions to help, you know, get the story started, right? And then one of our writers writes it, sends it to them for approvals or changes or updates. And then we, of course, edit it and, and they approve it before it goes out. But right. the, yeah, that's that's the way we do it. The interesting thing was, is at first I did think, man, we could totally have the client write these articles. And that's how the company started, was the client yeah. would write one article, send it to us. We do the rest of the content. No big deal, right? No, 
no client could write an article. <laughs> they would never send it to us. <laughs> if I was still waiting on uh, clients right. to write articles, I would never send a newsletter ever. <laughs> you know, so um, so no, we we just took it over, and that was I was like, well, if we're gonna get paid, <laughs> we got to send a newsletter. So we better go write this article for this this at the time yeah. it was a doctor, you know, and yeah. so that was what we did. So one of the questions I I bet you probably get is like. When you do like an e-newsletter, for example, like you can figure out the effectiveness of that more or less by like seeing how many people open the message, seeing how many people click through, seeing how many times they clicked on the message itself. But to my knowledge, there aren't really analytics like that for paper-based marketing. So how do people prove that like a newsletter is effective? Yeah. How do you show ROI? Yeah. So... Here's what I here's what I tell people. There are ways to show ROI, and it's uh, there are actually a number of different ways that you can do it. Whether it's via uh, various different promotions running in the newsletter, uh, primarily or only, right? There are ways of doing it from various different engagement mechanisms that we can use. What I'll tell people is is I think they're thinking about it incorrectly, right? So there's different types mm-hmm. of media that you've got there. Some media is lead generation media. And that media definitely needs to be held to very strict, for example, ROIs, right? But once you've generated the lead, they've gone through your funnel and they haven't bought or they have either direction because it's indifferent, right? That's where now we need to do drip marketing. And on drip marketing, Mm -hmm. that's where the newsletter comes in. So it's just part of your overall drip marketing campaign. Now, we can show that one of the easiest things for us to show, because most people, like especially when we're talking about lawyers, right? They're not they're not out here doing they're not like, hey, we're gonna do 20 new marketing campaigns, you know, this right. quarter. Right. You know, try, try one. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So so we're over here saying, okay, look, this is really easy. We can just measure the increase in referrals. You know, so simply put, we could just measure that, right? This mm-hmm. is if you're tracking it, here's what you had, here's what you've been getting after six months, here's what you're getting after a year. Uh, what have you what else have you changed? Oh, you haven't changed anything else? Okay, perfect. You know, right? Ed's or a quarter or whatever period of time. So that's an easy way of doing it, but I think people think about it wrong if they do it that way. This is another portion of your drip marketing campaign. The difference is, is that this is it is a physical newsletter. You're engaging lots of different senses into it. You're also coming into someone's house, which is a little bit different, uh, yeah. you know, even in a paper. Like I was at a legal conference last October. And I've spoken at this conference numerous times, so I I was mm-hmm. you know, familiar with the audience. They knew me, and probably half the people you know in that in that room at least were on my list. And and so I asked <laughs> them, I was like, "Hey, how many of you guys read this? You know, at the couch or in the office?" Or and I was like, "I got a little more intimate with them. I'm like, how many of you guys typically read this in your bedroom?" How many of you guys read it in your bathroom, right? You know, and you, it was amazing the, the various different hands that shot up and stuff. And so the funny thing is, is that, you know, these newsletters that are going in, most of the time are coming to people's houses and yeah. you're giving them useful information, something to, that gets them out of that screen, right? If you're doing it right, you're giving them useful information, entertaining information. You're giving mm-hmm. them information to help, uh, you know, help them better their lives in some way, shape or form. The biggest thing, the biggest thing is don't give them a bunch of legal information. <laughs> if you're a yeah. lawyer, the, I mean, yeah. they already think you're a good lawyer. They wouldn't have you know, got on your list, they wouldn't <laughs> do business with you. So you don't have to convince them of that. But um, yes. you remind them what you do, but you don't have to convince them. And then, but you get to spend that that time with them. And that getting off the screen, it's completely different. And there have been tons of studies done about the power of a physical item in the house. And, you know, I would say 
well, let me let me back up and rewind here for a second sure. because there's yeah. one other point that I should have made a little bit earlier. But it's that, you know, when people question print and they're like, does it work? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I would point to them and say, uh, one, we've actually seen a growth in print since uh, a growth in print, at least during 2020, right? We saw oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, we in fact we like we were doing some work regionally for Costco, you know, because they couldn't hmm. do their normal membership drives, and so they, right. you know, right. And so, but we've seen we've seen some growth, you know, we've seen some growth in print from that a, a fair a fair amount. And um, but what I think that it is 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 if you think about it like this, look at how it's being used by the big digital companies. So Google does print; they do direct mail. Amazon. Yeah does direct mail, right? You know, Amazon, could you imagine like the, the guy literally, is, you know, Jeff Bezos is literally going to space, <laughs> right? And, and basically a giant penis-shaped rocket. Yes. Okay, like, did you see that? Yes. Like, it was, it was, it was, it was very penis-y. It yes. Was, yes, it was. And uh, <laughs> so he's like, jump, he's going into, so, I mean, the guy still said the pranks, you know what I mean? Like, I, I it's not going to go all digital. And that's, the moment people start talking about it's all one way or it's all another way, and I don't care whether it's marketing or politics or anything, yeah. I'm like, dude, yeah. that's complete BS yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah, so. diversification. All right, I got one yeah. more question for go you, for which we'll do before we go into the last section, which kind of relates to that. So, like, you talked about like print newsletters not being the only thing you do. Like, sure. how do you unify and manage all these different tactics that you're using? Do you have advice for people on that? Yeah, so you do have to have a strategy, and that's that's a you know that's a big, big reason a lot of people's marketing fails, right? Is that they don't have a strategy. So their strategy is get more customers, but that's or get more clients. You know that doesn't make any sense, right? So the strategy should be what message are we putting out? You're going to start with your message, right? Mm-hmm. And your message is going to be crafted based off who your market is. So if your market is you know if you're doing estate planning. And you're targeting people in their 30s and 40s for estate planning, then you know you need to craft that message to those people, right? So you need to have right. you know have that right message, but you have to plan that ahead of time. If you're just winging it every time, you're like, you know what? I think today we should talk about um, <laughs> you know why why people under 40 should have you know and then uh, have an estate plan or something like or you know yeah. Yeah. Call us when you get in a car accident. No, don't. You know, like you have to actually sit down and plan it out. And if you're strategic about it you'll actually get it to work, right? As opposed to this uh, kind of just, we are, we're going to like, you know, super glue and band-aid yeah. and duct tape yeah. all together. Strategy. Always a good thing to bring on. Sean, this was a lot of fun. You going to stick around for the last segment? Absolutely. Wouldn't miss it. Awesome. All right, we'll take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. What you may not know is the way that your law firm bills clients may directly impact whether they hire you in the first place. It's true. That's why I've got Joshua Lennon from Clio. He's a lawyer in residence over there to talk to me about this subject. Joshua, go ahead, expound. Yeah, 70% of clients are telling us they want to pay via payment plans. And while hourly rates are the most common fee structure offered by law firms, clients are telling us 67% that they want the option to pay for legal services via flat fees. Wow. So what should lawyers do? Well, only 37% of law firms actually offer flat fees on any legal matter. So if you want to stand out, start offering flat fees. Thanks, Joshua. 
To learn more about the billing preferences of today's legal clients, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com slash trends. That's Clio, spelled C-L-I-O, dot com slash trends. Contract automation isn't a trend. It's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy-to-onboard, full suite of products that includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Partner with Rankings.io, the marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, even during off hours, Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit Rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Welcome to the rear end of the Legal Toolkit podcast, The Rump Roast. It's a grab bag of short form topics, all of my choosing. Why do I get to pick? Because I'm the host. Sean, welcome back. Thanks for having me. You live in Boise. I do. And when I read that as like a blue-blooded New Englander, well, not really, I thought to myself, why the fuck would anyone live in Idaho? And then I found out that Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad is from Idaho. You guys yes. make potato chips. That's pretty cool. So I'm getting a little buy-in here. Okay. So I thought to myself, what else is cool about Idaho? So let's explore this topic in our latest game, which I'm calling Idaho, Udaho. <laughs> so I've got some Idaho trivia for you. Oh, I feel like it's, I feel like isn't Idahoan. Is that correct? Idahoan. Idahoan. Like I've seen I, both. Idahoan. Idahoan. I, listen, I'm from California originally, so I don't. Like most of people from Idaho. <laughs> is that true? Like, are most people transplants? Like, I figured like people yeah. wouldn't move. Oh no, it's uh, it's uh, yeah. I I moved here a while a little while ago, but uh, but yeah, it's a huge transplant area from uh from California to escape all the taxes and regulation and stuff. So. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's get started. Let's I go. guess some Iowa trivia. You got a little give because you're now, not a native, but we'll see how you Iowa do. Or Idaho? Because did I say you Iowa? Just said it, Iowa. So I mean, I I, I could do either. I probably know about the same about both. So. Uh, <laughs> I've made this mistake about 5,000 times today. I have relatives from Iowa, so I always say Iowa. No, it's Idaho, Idaho. and I'm going to try to keep it that way. (laughs) Okay. All right. Question number one about Idaho. What does the word Idaho mean? Do you know? I have absolutely zero clue. (laughs) (laughs) So in my... In my quest to find cool stuff about <laughs> Idaho, I found out that Idaho doesn't mean anything. It's totally made up. Perfect. <laughs> um, there was a guy named George Willing who was a lobbyist, and he was telling people that this word Idaho meant gem of the mountains in the Shoshone Indian language, but okay. he actually totally made it up. 
So Man. it's like it's like a state name that has like no etymology, which is kind of cool. That is kind of cool. I, I, that's funny. You know, I have actually, the funny thing is, is I've actually uh, been in a courtroom where I've watched them do the same thing. Just totally make it up right there on the spot. <laughs> so, uh, so. Right. It happens. <laughs> it does. Oh, okay. All right. Here's, here's one I think you might know. Okay. Because I feel like being in Iowa, Idaho, fuck, I did it again. Being in <laughs> Idaho long enough, <laughs> you'll know this. What's the deepest river gorge in North America? Oh, is it uh, the Snake River? Uh, I think it's on, it's called Hell's Canyon. Oh, Hell's you Canyon. Know Hell's oh, Canyon. That's yeah, uh, yeah, I do know that area, actually. That's a great river. Oh, all right, Place tell me about buddy. Hell's Canyon. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's beautiful. It is very deep. You could go, you can go take it uh, like a, one of those like really fast, jet boats like they'll take you out on a tour through it and stuff and then you'll get whipping down that that bad boy and uh you know at the end they um they give you alcohol and then tell you to drive home no i'm just kidding hey i mean sounds (laughs) good to me (laughs) then you pick up your newsletter from your dui lawyer that's right you're set yes so uh (laughs) try not to you know don't do any personal injury but if you do you got your newsletter from your lawyer there so (laughs) Hell's Canyon in Western Idaho, 7,993 feet deep. Really? The Grand Canyon is only 6,000 feet deep, so suck it, Arizona. (laughs) Question number three. Do you know what is unique about the Idaho State Seal? I thought this was really interesting. You know, I'm going to go three for three for no. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you knew you knew Hell's Canyon. You got well, that one. I knew one. of it. I knew of it. Yeah, I'm giving you that one. Okay. Okay. So, th- so this is really interesting. The Idaho State Seal is the only one in the United States designed by a woman <laughs> in 1891, and the only reason that that happened was because she was smart enough to enter the design contest using only her initials. So the picture probably <laughs> thinking she was a man. Good for her, man. Work in the system. Love it. <laughs> I love it. I got two more for you. Go for it. Um, I think I think you could go two for two here. This one this one's a yes no question. Okay, okay. Are potatoes actually native to Idaho? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I'm gonna say no. Yes, correct, sir. Yes. Oh, woo! Look at that. This this is something I did not know. The first potato in America was planted in New Hampshire in oh. 1719 by a missionary. So he moved to Idaho in 1836, and then they taught the Nez Pierce tribe how to grow their own food, and they were the first people to cultivate and sell potatoes in Idaho. Crazy. Okay. I feel like we're having a good session here. All right, this is the one. This this is the tipping point. You're two of four. Let's see if we can get you over 500. Okay. How do you pronounce the capital city of Idaho? Boise. Oh, very, oh yeah, you want to tell people why? This is this is good. You're spot oh, on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, why? I don't know that I know that answer. Come on, <laughs> you know, this is, that would be that would be pushing me over. You know, I mean, I can't. I, that's too many. I have five questions. I'm giving you max. <laughs> I'm giving you three of five. Okay. So apparently, like people from Idaho who live in Idaho say Boise, mm-hmm. and outsiders say Boise, mm-hmm. Boise, and right. I. Like when I was when I was doing this and I was thinking about it, I say Boise. So here we are. Yeah, I just like to fit in. So I just uh, depends on whether I'm in Idaho or out of Idaho. It's hard to pronounce it. So fair. Yeah, Sean, I had a lot of fun doing this. Thanks for the interview. Thanks for the rump roast. You've been a really good sport. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. It was, it was a great time. All right, man. Take care of yourself. Yeah, you too. If you want to find out more about Sean Buck and Newsletter Pro, visit newsletterpro.com. That's newsletterpro.com. Now, for those of you listening in Dick Shooter, Idaho, we've got a new Spotify playlist that features the most popular songs about Idaho. Actually, that's not the case because there aren't any of those songs. But there are a bunch of amazing Cat Stevens songs. So let's go with that instead. Even though Evan slapped me with an open hand at the beginning of this podcast after I made a joke about his wife, I was really professional about it and just kept things moving. So that'll do it for another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast. This is Jared Correa reminding you that Uranus spins sideways. The planet, you sick fuck. Today's legal news is rarely as straightforward as the headlines that accompany them. On Lawyer to Lawyer, we provide the legal perspective you need to better understand the current events that shape our society. Join me, Craig Williams, and a wide variety of industry experts as we break down the top stories. Follow Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Podcasts.